Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I wish I had a great story about what happened to my back, but um, I don't. Have you guys ever, if you've ever had back injuries before, um, I used to really think it was kind of like, kind of like, I don't know, weak. If people had back injuries, I was just like, oh my gosh, it's just your back. Like, stand up, suck it up. And then I injured my back, and now I'm uh, an evangelist for uh, back injuries. Isn't it amazing how we, we have these views when we haven't experienced something, and then we do, and all of a sudden it all changes? So, so I think often God allows us to go through things so that we can actually be soft-hearted uh, towards other people, don't you think? I'm convinced that some of our greatest, um, our greatest sense of calling can come from the pain that we've gone through and made it through to the other side so that we can show people, we can tell people that uh, there, there is a better day to come. And for followers of Jesus, we always can look forward and say that no matter what our days look like here on earth, no matter how hard your day is, if you're a follower of Jesus, your best days are to come. That's, that's a guarantee. Guys, I've got an announcement for you before we begin. Um, if you are interested in becoming a member at the Edge Church, uh, we have a member, uh, membership information meeting on the 22nd. It is now March 1st, which is awesome. We're one step closer to uh, non, uh, non-polar weather, right? Uh, today, I think it's supposed to be in the 50s. Man, this is awesome. So Illinois is, Illinois is catching up with the times finally and, and, and warming up like the rest of the country. So I'm excited about that. Um, I'm convinced that uh, my, my back is going to get better when it gets warmer too. So I'm just, I'm just going with it. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but everything else is going to feel better when it's warmer. So I believe that's going to be the case too. It's getting warmer. I'm, 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 I'm going to hold you to that. Okay, and Tom Skilling. So uh, the membership information meeting, uh, a weather guy is the only job that you never have to get it right to keep your job and make lots of money, right? That and psychics. Anyway, uh, March 22nd, uh, 1230 is our membership meeting. So RSVP to Hillary at edgeaurora.com. Um, and let us know if you want to be a part of that. That isn't just for people who are new to the Edge Church. If, if you were with us uh, just over a week ago, we talked at our family meeting about um, where we're going um, over the next several years as a church community. And, and we've sort of honed some of our documents that, that talk about what we believe and, um, as a church. So if you sort of got grandfathered into the church in terms of membership and, and you've never been to a membership information meeting, we would encourage you to come to that. It's not just for people that are brand new to the church, but maybe you, you came here and you're like, man, I've never been to a membership information meeting. I don't know if I'm allowed to come. You're not only allowed to come, we encourage you to come. Um, some people who uh, kind of had been in the church for a while and then came to the meeting, they said, man, I had no idea that, that you covered all of this information in the membership information meeting. So we think that there's something that you would benefit from if you came and were a part of that too. So make sure to RSVP to Hillary. Uh, so guys, uh, if you came to our family meeting, and, and one of the things about the Edge Church is that a lot of people come to kind of like all church gatherings. It seems like in a lot of churches that I've been a part of in my history, it, it's like Getting people to come to meetings is really, really hard. But, but one of the things that I noted really quickly, and I've been a part of this church for about two and a half years, one of the things that I took note of really quickly in the Edge Church is that it seems like if there is a meeting, people just come. They just want to be a part of it. And some of you guys are like, well, I don't want to be a part of it, but I was threatened with my life. Just kidding. None of you were, none of you were threatened with your life, I don't think. Um, but uh, this church has a culture of, of people wanting to be together, okay? We just, this is a church that people want to be together so we know each other. There, nobody has to be all alone in our church community, and that's an awesome thing. So if you have, have been all alone, or if you, you came here and you're just like, man, I, I want to search this all about, I'm just going to tell you this. This is a tiny fraction. This, this morning is a tiny fraction of what it looks like to be a part of our community, because all throughout our church, uh, all throughout each week, we have many gatherings for people, whether it's, it's, it's you know, ministry meetings or it's community groups. There is always a place for you to get connected. So if you came in here today and you think, you know, I am so disconnected from people, I'm just going to tell you this. You don't have to be after today. 
and you are welcome here. Whatever your background is, you are welcome here in this place. We're excited to have you as part of our community. So we talked uh, just over a week ago um, about uh, what our mission and our vision is, and, and we recognized that we, we gave you guys a whole lot of information, a whole lot of information, and it's information that, that we as the elders and other leaders in the church have, have been digging into for quite some time. So even though it seems kind of old to us already, you, you know how when you're, you're so uh, focused on talking about things for a while, you think everyone else knows it too? But, but we recognize that this is still a relatively new thing for most of you. And, and, and a week ago, we shared kind of an outline um, of where we're going as a church over the next several years. And then um, last Sunday, Brandy preached an awesome message. I love what Steve said about it. He said it was a mic drop kind of message. And I, let me just tell you this. Preaching after someone is described as having a mic drop kind of message is a little bit unnerving right? Let me tell you what else is unnerving. That someone in our church told me afterward, and I, and I love this because my wife is awesome, someone told me afterward that they would like Brandy to preach seven times a month. So, um, in light of that stunning encouragement to me, and after an incredible crisis counseling session for me, here I am. Thank you. Stop that. No, you can keep going. So today we're going to start to unpack the mission of the Edge Church. Um, the truth is, if we can't articulate what it is, and, and someone said, are you going to ask the congregation what the mission is? No, because I don't like to set myself up for failure. Okay? Now here's the thing. At the end of today, I want you all to be able to say it. And if you pay attention to what we talk about today, it's going to be no problem for you. Because it's actually really simple. It's four parts, very, very simple. But here's the thing. If you can't articulate what it is, I'm confident that you're never going to do it. You just won't. You can't do something that you don't really know. And even if you know it, if you don't understand the why of it, you're not going to be motivated to follow through and do this over the course of several years. Does that, does that make sense? If, if, you, if you start to work out, but you get bored with your workout plan, or you, you don't see results soon enough, you, you stop doing it because you just don't have the why anymore, because you started doing it to get in better shape or to lose weight. And if you don't start seeing those things happen, you stop doing it. It's the same thing with any mission in our lives. So we've been wrestling with this for months but we know that this is all relatively new to you. But the reason why it's so important for you guys to grab a hold of this and not just us is that in our church, there are so many different leaders, so many different leaders right here. So many of you are leaders in our church. This is not some uh, CEO, top-down driven church where we make decrees and then you jump and you do it. That's not what this church is about at all. As a matter of fact, most of you guys are leaders in our church. And we don't give you the title of leader in hopes that maybe you'll actually lead. We give you the title of what you're already doing, and we say, keep doing that. That's how we, that's how we look at leadership as a church. Our mission is completely dependent on you playing the role that God has given you to play. And each of you has a role, whether you know it or not, whether you've discovered it or not, you have a role. Scripture tells us that we are all ministers of the gospel. Each one of us. It's not just the people that come up on stage. It's every single person who claims the name of Jesus Christ and who obeys him is a minister of the gospel. So here's what's cool to me. After Jesus sent out his original 12 disciples, he commissioned 72 to go. It was always about expanding. It's, it, it was never about a few people with power. It was never about a few people uh, with the message. It was never about a few people who were qualified and understood what this message was and you had to only go to them. It was always about other people grabbing a hold of this message and then those people would give that message to other people and it spread. 
So if 12 turned into 72, and they were commissioned. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every place, every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. This has nothing to do with this passage, but I have to say this. I asked one of my daughters to carry in my iPad, and my daughter Ava laughed, and she goes, Dad, you have a purse. (laughs) I'm like, it's 2020. If I want a purse, I can have it, okay? When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a, warm, as, as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Wow. This message that we carry is heavy and it's important and it's for all people. And all people are going to have to choose how to respond to that message. So, so Jesus uh, didn't decide to, to do this all on his own. He actually chose a few, and it, and it wasn't the perfect few. It wasn't the educated few. It, it wasn't the kind of the, the, the prime people that we would naturally pick. It was, it was normal people. And somehow in God's mysterious, um, mysterious like upside-down, power-emptying way, he chose the least of these And they said yes to him. They said no to sin, and they chose to do the work of the ministry that he had for them. And it makes no sense to me. Does it really make any sense to any of you when you hear how Jesus did it? It's certainly not the social media way where we try to be influencers or we try to get close to the influencers. No, Jesus went to the complete opposite of influencers. He went to the people that no one else would pick so that the world would see that it was him working through people. It wasn't about the talents of the people. How many of you know that your talent will never get you to God? How many of you know that your goodness will never get you to God? How many of you know that there's nothing that you can bring on your own except your sin that will bring you to God? But it takes honesty and it it, it takes admitting that you've done it wrong. And then you turn to him, and he's the one who can change everything for you. So here is the mission of the Edge Church. We exist to make disciples who live for Jesus, who love one another, who tell the world. Okay, it's four things. We exist to make disciples. I want you to take note of this. Actually, the whole mission statement could be, really be summed up in we exist to make disciples. That's, that's what it is. And then we're really describing what disciples look like, right? Notice it doesn't say we exist to make converts. It doesn't say we exist to cause people to make decisions for Jesus. Because i got to be honest with you. I've seen a whole lot of people make decisions for Jesus and then walk away a very, very short time later. There are parables about this in Scripture. Uh, it's not about making a decision. It's about choosing the way. And it's about walking with him on the way. So our mission is, can you guys say it with me instead of looking up at the screen? We exist to make disciples. No, that's even better. That's even better. We exist to make disciples who live for Jesus, love one another, and tell the world. Okay, right? So four things. Not very hard. You guys guys are going to do awesome. You you are. This This is not a hard one. But it's one that, 
Yeah, absolutely. We exist to make disciples. So we could just say the Edge Church exists to make disciples who live for Jesus, who love one another, and tell the world. Four simple things. So we need to talk to you a little bit today about where this came from and, and really to show you that it's all rooted in the Bible. It's super important for us to do that. Uh, we want to remind you that everything that we do here, we, we try to root in Scripture to the best of our ability. Now here's, here's what we have to acknowledge also. We, we acknowledge that our interpretations of Scripture can be flawed. We, we, we believe that God's Word is perfect, but we also recognize that our interpretation of it can be flawed. So we do this imperfectly, but it is always our goal to root things in Scripture, everything that we do. We have no source of information in this world that is transformative like the Word of God. We're convinced of that. We have no source of information that has the transformative power because I love, I, I love this idea that when we read Scripture— or when scripture is read, the Holy Spirit is present with us when we read it. So if you're reading scripture and you're confused, and I got to be honest, like many times I read scripture and I'm like, I don't get what that means. How many of you feel that way sometimes? Like that is super confusing. Or this seems conflicted. Like it says this here, but then it says this here. What, what is going on? One of the things I was encouraged to do very early on by, by, a, by a pastor mentor is he said, just 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 breathe a quick prayer. Say, Lord, I ask that you would be here with me to help me understand what you want me to get. And he, he is faithful to do that. It might not be in a moment, but he's going to, every deposit of scripture you put in you, I promise you, he is going to bring it out of you in moments. And you'll be surprised. I, um, I've had several dreams in the last few years where I have woken up quoting long passages of scripture I didn't know that I knew long passages. Like I, in, in my dream, I was reading scripture. I was reading a Bible and I woke up saying it and it was exactly what scripture said. And I didn't, I never purposely memorized it. So it tells me that, that no word of God's will return void. You have no idea how it's going to come out of you, but whatever you put in, whatever you take time to put into you, God is going to use to come out of you at some point. Isn't that awesome? I've never had that with another book, never. But I have woken up quoting long passages of Scripture, and I've thought, that is awesome. And that kind of thing makes me want to read more. How about you? Like, if God is, if he's going to use Scripture in that way, man, I want to, I want to get in there more. It's exciting. So the Edge Church exists to make disciples. That's our first point. So, so yeah, spoiler alert, each point is just a part of our mission. So let's talk about that. The Edge Church exists to make disciples. I want you to think about this. After the resurrection of Jesus, every single thing got turned upside down. This was a scary time for, it was a scary time for everybody because the Jews were terrified. The guards were, were, were freaked out because they knew that, that having a body disappear like this they, they knew that their heads were on the line. Their heads were probably going to roll because they, it seemed like they let, this, they let his followers steal the body. The religious leaders decided to try to do a cover-up. And then the, the disciples went to Galilee. They followed through on what Jesus said. He said, go to Galilee. And he appeared to them and he said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's the thing, guys. That, <coughs> that mission is not something that we made up. We didn't just say, well, that sounds pretty neat, or that's a great idea that, that, that we had no, the mission was given to us by Jesus himself. 
That mission was given to the church at large, the church that Brandy talked about last week, the ecclesia, the, 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 the gathered ones, the called out ones. The church around the world never has to come up with a more creative mission statement than that because that's the mission statement that the risen Lord has given each church throughout the world. Each church. We didn't come up with this. It is our purpose, and it is a beautiful purpose. How many of you guys, how many of you guys growing up, you know, you, you sort of wonder what your purpose is? And it's not just about finding Jesus. I'm not talking about just the spiritual side of life, but I'm just talking about how many of you, when you were growing up, you were like, I wonder what I'm going to be good at. I wonder what I'm going to do that brings me joy. Maybe some of you are like, I'm still wondering that, and that's okay right? To some degree, we have these kind of little crisis, these existential crisis moments where we're like, am I still good at that? Am I still supposed to do that kind of thing? Um, I've, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but my, my oldest daughter, uh, she just turned 16 recently, so pray for me. Um, honestly, though, I, I, I say that kind of in a joking way because she's, she's really an incredible, really an incredible kid. And many of you guys who have been around her, you, you just kind of know that. She's just, she really is just a special kid. And um, she, uh, she's been on the varsity show choir of Wabonzi Valley High School. Now, this is her second year. She's a sophomore. And it's competition season. And, and yesterday, we went to Lafayette, Indiana uh, to go see her perform. And, and uh, we missed the time. We, we, we didn't remember that we literally just crossed over into Eastern so we literally missed her competition time. And then we got there, and we had about three hours to, to burn while waiting for her to, to be, maybe be in finals. Like, we took the gamble that they were going to be in finals because Wabanzi has an awesome show choir. Soundcheck is unbelievable. Um, if you think show choir, like, I didn't know what show choir was. I, I just pictured, like, you know, spirit fingers and stuff. And I'm telling you, guys, this is, like, it's hardcore physical, it's a workout, it's dancing nonstop, like, you've, like faster than you've ever seen with all this choreography, and it's just, it's telling a story, and it's like 17 minutes of performance for each school. It's nonstop. I mean, it is, it, it's like a prize fight. They're so tired when they're done. So we went there to Lafayette, uh, hoping that she would be in finals, and, and they were, they were in finals, and, and they, uh, they performed last night in Indiana at 9.45 p.m., 9.45 p.m. And we, we watched her do that. And I am telling you, I don't, any other dads just feel like you could just cry when you see your kid doing something that's just, it's just their thing. I watched her do this and it is, it is, it takes everything in me not to just start like wailing, crying. I don't know what it is. I see her up there and I'm just like, I see her using this gift. I see her operating um, just in such a, it's just such a beautiful way. And it's, it's like my, my, my big baby girl and she's up there and she's doing her thing and she's awesome at it. And, and Wabanzi got third place throughout the whole thing. So they placed and it was awesome. And, and I, I thought about this morning, I was like, man, as excited as I am that my daughter is finding one of her purposes, one of her things, her lane here as, as a teenager, and she's doing it with integrity, and she, she just does it with, she's committed to it, and it's just, there's a class about how she does it. And I just thought, how much more does God get excited when we grab a hold of the purpose that he has for us? The purpose that he has for us. Like, think about this. Like, if I feel emotional about my daughter using the gift that God has given her, how much more does God feel emotional when we get connected with the single most important thing that we could ever do? The most important message that exists on planet Earth that will echo into eternity, that changes nations and takes down kings and elevates peasants. Like, it does all of these things. Imagine what it does to the Father's heart when, when he sees that we've said yes to joining him in his mission. Oh my gosh. Like I'm telling you, like I, I'm so moved by Hannah and I just got the sense this morning before I came out here, what do you think I feel about you? 
So if we are a church, and, and remember, a church is not a building. It's not an hour-long meeting on a Sunday. It's, it's, not just, it's not just a gathered people with a whole bunch of different purposes. But if we are a church, then we don't have a choice about what we're called to be about. We don't have a choice. Now, now, will it look different? Will expressions of faith look different in this church, maybe compared to a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church? Well, yeah, of course. Is, is it going to look different in Haiti or in Honduras than it does here? You bet it will. But will the purpose be different? No, it shouldn't be. The mission should be the same while the means should be flexible, Right? Because God can infiltrate any culture. The culture is not an accident. Culture is not necessarily good or bad. It's just the, it's the way people are. So we don't go into a different culture and try to change the culture. No, we go into the culture and introduce the one who changes all things. That's the difference. Pastor Craig Rochelle once said, we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. I think that's kind of an interesting statement. <laughs> I, it really is when you think about it. It's like, hey, I'm going to walk right up to that sinful border. You've got to be careful, though, with that, right? Because, right? you know, you can be like, well, I'm called to go to Mardi Gras to reach people. That doesn't always work well if you used to like going to Mardi Gras, right? I'm called to a bar ministry. I mean, I was a horrible alcoholic in high school and college, but I think it's going to be safe. No, it's probably not a good idea. But I love the idea that we're going to do anything we can to reach the world for Christ. Um, a, an English miss, missionary to China, India, and Africa named C.T. Studd. I mean, what a great name, right? Hi, I'm C.T. Studd, and I approve this message. He famously said, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Whew, that's good. That'll preach right there. That's good stuff, right? It's like, it's like, man, what are we about? And if we're a church, we need to be thinking about the mission. And the mission is to make disciples because there is a real eternity that we all face. It's, it's real. And it's heaven or hell. I heard um, a friend of mine one time, he preached a, he preached a funeral. I, was, I think I was in Haiti and I heard, I, I was like, wow, I wonder how my friend did. He was an elder in my last church. <laughs> and uh, I got home and I'm like, so how'd the funeral go? And it was actually a funeral for his mother-in-law. Apparently, after a couple songs, he got up and he just goes, good morning, everyone. You have a choice to make. There's heaven and there's hell. Choose heaven. Amen. That was his funeral sermon. While the brevity of it and the style of it I probably don't support, I appreciate his heart. Because I know that his heart's good. His heart is for every single person to make the choice to follow Jesus. That's just his heart. Now, is he gruff? Could he turn off some people? Absolutely. But I think that, I think that he, makes, he makes God's heart happy because he just has this simplicity of faith. So, so both of those quotes underscore the seriousness of the mission that Jesus has given to us. And, and I believe that it's a great honor to be asked to join in that mission. It's a heavy responsibility to be tasked with a job that has eternal ramifications for both good and, and for tremendous bad. It's important, again, to recognize that becoming a disciple you know, we exist to what? Make disciples, not converts. It's important to differentiate because converting is a decision that we make. Being a disciple involves follow through and it suggests a movement. There's motion. You, you, it's, it's about going. You don't stay in one place. It's about connecting with God and going. It means putting the claims of Jesus into practice. It's more than just a mental ascent there are a whole lot of people that make decisions for Jesus and they'll say, yes, I believe that, that Jesus is the son of the living God and I believe that he died for my sins and then they literally get stuck right there as if that's the only thing God has called them to do. That is just the first step. 
on a journey that continues the rest of your life. Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that sound like that's just a one-time quick decision and you never give God another thought in your life? No, this is something serious. There's a heaviness here. There's a, there's a weight of responsibility. That's what discipleship is. It's different than conversion. Conversion is just the first step. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. I love this. This is a picture of being invited into discipleship, not just a decision. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. <clears throat> they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Just in case you were wondering why they were casting the net into the lake. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, for they were fishermen. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, I, do you notice that this, this call that God gives us is extremely people-heavy? Do you notice that? Uh, some of us, can we be real? Some of us would rather ditch the gathering that we have every Sunday. We'd rather stop hanging out with people because... You know, peopling is hard sometimes. Have you guys noticed that? Like some days, wouldn't you just be like, hey, God, I think I'm going to have a way better time hanging on to this faith thing if you don't make me people? Anybody else? <laughs> yeah. Woo! Testify, right? It's true. <clears throat> but, but, he, but here's the thing. Like we'd rather sometimes stay at home. We'd rather just listen to a great podcast because there's all sorts of awesome preaching out there. There's all sorts of awesome worship music. You don't have to come here to, to get a sermon. You don't have to come here to listen to worship music. As a matter of fact, just go to, man, just go to the Apple store. There is everything. There is, there is preaching that you're going to find that's deeper. There's preaching that you're going to find that's more charismatic. There's, there's music that you're going to find is better. You're going to find all sorts of things. You, you can find all that, and it's really easy for you to say, you know what, I'm just going to do my church in the woods I'm going to put my, AirPod, my AirPods in and I'm just going to go out into the woods because I am done peopling. And, and, and let's be real for a second. I, I think that there are times in life where we've gone through something, where there's some sort of a trauma, that it's okay to step out just for a bit. There's nothing wrong with that. If something has traumatized you in, in a place, like in the church, it's completely understandable to step out of that place to find healing. But it's also important for us to walk back into a safe place because we can't make our disconnection from people permanent. We can't do that. Now, we can, but you'll never make disciples if you're never around people. You literally cannot do the mission of Jesus if you permanently abandon people. And, and, and guess what? You can never be a disciple separate from people either. So at some point... You have to step back into some kind of community. That means not just you. I get it though, guys. I, I, I've been in places where I, I've thought, man, I, God, I, I'm really, really worn out from people. Lord, are you sure you called me to be a pastor? Because I'm, I'm kind of done with people. I'm worn out, God. And every time he's been super gracious to me. Every time, I've never sensed any condemnation like, are you even a Christian? Never sensed that. He's been really gracious to me. And he's given me that space to, to start to heal. And all of a sudden, I'll notice like, man, I'm not so, I, I, I'm not, I don't feel as like, avoid, I, I don't want to avoid people as much as I did yesterday. That's a victory, right? That's a step towards community. The truth is we cannot participate in the mission of God if we are not in community. And we can't become disciples apart from community. Here's the second part of our mission. Parenthetically, just, just remember this. We exist to make disciples, and a disciple lives for Jesus. We exist to make disciples, and disciples 
live for Jesus. That, that might sound really obvious, but I just want you to look around and look at all of the things, the, the people, places, things, ideas, all the nouns for you, you know, grammar nerds, all of the things that, that vie for our attention. So many things vie for our attention every day. Just take note. Uh, just try to do something spiritual and see what happens. How many times have you sat down and you're like, I'm going to do the Bible reading plan this year on version." You wake up and you get your phone out and you're super proud. You're like, it's day one. It's, it's January 2nd because no one does it January 1st, right? So January 2nd, you get it out and you are reading. Two seconds later, something happens in your house, right? Some, someone needs you. Something breaks. There's breaking news. I mean, whatever it is, there is something that grabs your attention. That's just one tiny example. But things always vie for our attention. And here's the thing. Not all of those things are bad. Some of those things are really good things, but they still aren't the main thing. So how do we live for Jesus in light of that? We have to do it with intention. Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26, it says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And this is such a sobering line. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's no exchange for the soul, you guys. We have to be intentional. Luke chapter 12 Verses 16 through 21, it tells the story in a different way. I think it's important. The repetition here, the different parables that speak to the same thing are super important. And Jesus told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Guys, that's the American dream. Right? Hey, if I just have enough stuff, then I can retire, and that's when I'm really going to live. I can't tell you how many people I know that have chased the American dream, and they've died right before retirement. Or people that have chased the American dream and they have about six months of retirement and then all of a sudden they recognize that's when they're old and they get sick and they don't enjoy it. Or they, they spend all their time chasing after money and things and they go to the office in the city and they, they, they go up the corporate ladder and, and they die on the way home in an accident at 32 and they were convinced if they made it to 40 they could retire. This is literally describing the American dream, and it says, but God said to him. Let's personalize that. But God is saying to us, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Roughly half of the parables that Jesus taught were about money and how people spent it. That should speak a really huge message to us as a church, shouldn't it? It's not about money being bad, but it's the reality that we are fallible people. And fallible people don't often handle riches well. I've said this many times before. I've looked up the lives of people who've won the lottery. Every single person here, if you were being really honest, if someone said, today you could choose to, to, I I could give you the the numbers to the lottery that that you're going to win $250 million or $762 million, there's not one person in this room that wouldn't say yes. Not one. Not one. Yet we look in Scripture and we get messages that talk about how hard it is for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we see the lives of people who win the lottery and almost it never ends well. It just doesn't end well. It always ends with destruction because here's the reality. Whatever is in us when we're poor is magnified when we're rich. Whatever ugly, the good in you is not, it does not tend to be magnified when you get a bunch of stuff. It's the ugly in you that's fed, right? You don't see people suddenly get rich and say, well, now I'm going to tithe. <laughs> I, I couldn't tithe before. I, I didn't want to give to God before because I couldn't pay my bills well. But now that, now that I'm extremely wealthy, I'm going to be extremely generous. You just don't see that. Generosity, according to God, is never tied to the amount of money you make. It's all about your heart. It's the position of your heart. So, so when we live lives that are about building up money for us, it's a bad strategy for life, and it's completely inconsistent with what it looks like to live for Jesus. Jesus said it. He said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is a terrible strategy. Living for Jesus part of discipleship, the journey that God has called us to. But here's what's so beautiful about God. He, he, he basically dares us. He says, listen, I know you want all those things. I know the things that you need. And if you would just entrust if you would just entrust your life to me, if you would die to yourself and make your life about my life, if you would let me live through you, if you would make your life about my kingdom and not your kingdom, if you'd make your life more about heaven than about the short time you have on earth, I will take you and make sure that you have all of those things that other people chase after their whole lives. I'll make sure you have all that you need and you'll be satisfied. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need, need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? So many things that we worry about never come to fruition. But there's always something that happens, right? But, but God says, trust me with your days. If you, make, if you make your priority my kingdom, I'm going to give you all that you need and you're not going to have to run around like a chicken with its head cut off in the short time that you have on this earth. So here's the third point of the Edge Church's mission. Remember, again, we exist to make disciples who love one another. We exist to make disciples who love one another. Now, let me ask you this. This is, it's not a trick question. How, how, how many of you are impressed when you meet someone who really does know a lot of Scripture? It's okay to say yes. It's not, it's not a trick question. Like, I, I, I do, I, I'm impressed by the discipline that it takes for people to really, like, internalize a lot of Scripture. They just know it. But let me ask you, uh, maybe ask it a slightly different way. How impressed are you when someone knows a ton of Scripture, but's a jerk in real life? <laughs> Thank you, right? It's like the opposite of impressed. To me, it's like a cesspool. It's a gigantic waste. It's disgusting. It's gross, Right? When someone, man, they can quote the scripture to you, but they are like a dumpster fire of a human to be around. You're just like, do you not understand what that's supposed to do? It's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to flow through you in gentle ways. It's not supposed to be used as a weapon, right? It's the worst. It's the worst when someone is mean-spirited and has all the knowledge. And guess what? Guess what? It turns so many people off to real faith. Turns so many people off because it's hard to trust who God is when his followers are misrepresenting him. Just like it's hard for some of you to trust that God is a good father because yours wasn't. We carry our family of origin around with us in our back pocket. Right? You know what I mean when I say that? 
You look at life because of things that have happened to you. So you look at faith according to people who say they're followers of Jesus. So when you're around people that have a whole lot of knowledge, but a whole a tiny little bit of love, you're just like, man, who would want to be a Christian? I talked just a, a few weeks ago about the reality that Christians have an issue with perception in the world that we have a lack of love. And I think it's better just to receive that critique and say, God, help me to live Help me to live a life characterized by love and gentleness. And, and don't allow my knowledge to turn into a cesspool. Allow my knowledge to, to transform me so that I love people better. Wouldn't that be something else? So I'm not too impressed with that either. Um, the, the Apostle Paul uh, addressed the, the church at Corinth. They were having all sorts of issues. The, the letter of 1 Corinthians is all about uh, Paul going in and saying, hey, you started great, but now it's going pretty bad. So he addressed this controversy of Christians that were um, arguing over eating uh, food that was sacrificed to idols. And instead of concluding that the, the believers who were lacking the right perspective, by the way, he says right at the start, he says, yeah, it's, it's not, we know that idols really don't mean anything. There's no other God except the God that we serve. But he didn't say uh, that those believers who lacked the right perspective on idols were idiots. He actually said this. He said, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So it would have been easy for Paul to say, actually, uh, those those Christians with weaker faith, they're ridiculous. And go ahead and eat whatever food you want because you're Americans. You can do what you want. You have freedom. Use that freedom however you want. You can almost hear Lee, Lee Greenwood singing. A couple of you can. But God, through the Apostle Paul, let us know right is not the highest importance in a relationship. Being loving is. We, we know this in, in, in our earthly relationships. We, we really do, don't we? Because we know people who can win arguments all day long, and you're like, ah, I just want to be away from that person. They just want to get the last word. They just want to be right. I've been very guilty of that before. <laughs> I want to get the last word in to show, no, I know what I'm talking about. But no one likes to be around someone who does that. I don't, you don't, nobody does. God hasn't called us to, to be right. He's called us to be in relationship. So in this case, the ones who actually knew the truth were called to set aside their right to eat food that they could. They were technically right. But, but he called them to set aside their right for the sake of, or in other words, for the love of their brothers and sisters that had different convictions. Even though they were right, he said, lay down your rightness and pick up your love. So how can we be known for love? What would that look like? What, what would that look like for us? But I think before we tackle that, we have to establish that we can't love like this on our own. We just can't do it. Our tendency towards sin and our, our selfishness will always block the kind of love that God wants to, to, to uh, speak through us, the, the altruistic kind of love that God has for us. We first have to make sure that we have received the Spirit of God who is willing to live in us. And it only comes once we repent and turn from our sins and turn to Jesus. That's the only way we can have this kind of love. But once we do it, we have assurances. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to grab a hold of this today. So you don't have to wonder if you have this ability. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, 
Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So two things there. He has given you everything you need if you're a follower of Jesus. Everything you need. And that because of this promise that he has made to you, you can participate in the divine nature. It means you don't have to, you, you don't have to believe that you're just all alone, that it's just your sinful nature. No, you have a new nature. And it is divine, and he has given you everything that you need. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says kind of the same thing. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. How awesome is that? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. His love exists in you. If you said yes to Jesus, if you repented and you turned from your sins and turned to Jesus, he promises that he's given you the Holy Spirit. So you have everything that you need to love in the same way that God loves you. Turn to Jesus and he will love you people through you. Turn to Jesus and he will love people through your life. I mentioned just a moment ago that Christians, uh, unfortunately, we, we, we saw this in the New York Times articles, that Christians have a perception issue in the world when it comes to how we love people. It's just true. But I think sometimes we also need to be encouraged. This, this was a, a letter written in the second century the second century, observing Christians. And it's called the Epistle to uh, Diognetus. The Epistle to Diognetus. Epistle just meaning letter. So letter to Diognetus. Listen to this whole thing closely. For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men. Nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines. But inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities according as the lot of each of them has determined and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. They display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners." Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and they bless. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body, that are Christians in the world. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we prepare to close.
Here's our final point today. We exist to make disciples who tell the world. We exist to make disciples who tell the world. Let me ask you this. Does your faith feel stagnant today? Does it? If your answer is yes, I have a question for you. This is not a shaming question at all. When is the last time you shared your faith? When is the last time you opened your mouth and you told someone the reason that you have the hope that you do? When is the last time you shared Jesus with another person? When is the last time you woke up and you said, Lord, you love this world and you placed me in it. You chose the the time and the season. You chose the state that I would live in. You chose the family that I'm a part of. God, where, why have you placed me here? And would you open my eyes to anyone who needs to hear about you so that I can tell them the reason for the hope that I have today? When is the last time you prayed that? I promise you this, if you do that, you will not feel bored in your faith journey. You're just not going to. It's impossible to feel bored when you're actively engaging with God in his mission to change the world and to save souls. Can we face the reality, though, that the reason oftentimes that we don't do this is because we're scared? Can we we face the reality that we're afraid of being looked at as strange? And I'm going to tell you the truth. You probably will be labeled all those things. You'll probably be labeled hateful. You're going to be dismissed in some ways as weird. And maybe, maybe you're weird, but don't, don't be extra weird. Just You don't have to bring all your weirdness to the table. It's not the goal to be weird. But it is weird to people when they hear about Jesus because they have to make a decision on what to do with him, just like we did. I've shared this with you before, but I think it's worth noting again that I, when I first became a Christian, I was really, really, I would, I would characterize myself as overzealous in telling people about Jesus. And what does that look like? That, that just looks like being so fired up for, for the Lord that I didn't really care too much about the cues people gave me. Just didn't. I was like, you need to know about Jesus I, I, I prayed for you, and I know I, he, brought, he brought you to me, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus, whether they wanted to hear or not. I was a little bit overzealous with my evangelism, and I think I was too pushy. Instead of being relational and invitational, I, I just sort of ran through roadblocks. But I know that God gave me the right heart. It's just how I did it wasn't quite there. So, so I then went through a few years in ministry where I just decided I'm basically not telling people anything because that, that was weird. That turned people off, and I, I don't want to be someone who does that. Like, I know how to be with people, and I don't want to be like that. So, so I, I told my, this was the story that I told myself. I'm just going to practice relational evangelism. And, and really what that is is I'm just going to live my life for Jesus And then I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to bring people to me. And and here's the thing. Sometimes he did that. But I also uh, noted that I wasn't telling nearly as many people about Jesus when I just took the onus off of myself. And I just said, well, God, I'm just going to live this out. And whoever you want to bring to me, I swung completely the opposite way on the pendulum. And it wasn't the right balance. And I, I noticed I avoided telling people in my daily life much of anything specifically about Jesus. And I even relied on quotes like this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. That sounds great. And, and many have attributed that to St. Francis of Assisi. But here's the problem. He didn't say that. He never And that's certainly not how he lived out his life. So even if he said that, he was hypocritical because that's not what he did. And it wasn't the practice of the authors of Scripture either. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 14, he said, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? If, I, if I'm being honest, there are many times when it's not appealing for me to tell someone specifically about Jesus. Still, I have moments where I'm like, no, God, things are going so well in this conversation. I don't want to do that. That's weird. So many times. But if I don't open my mouth and share with someone who needs hope, if I don't open my mouth and share with someone who needs healing, if I don't open my mouth and share with someone who needs to, to, to know that there's something beyond this earth, do I really love that person? Or do I love myself a little bit more? Now listen, you can tell yourself all day long that, that you know, it's not loving to tell someone something they don't want to hear. And I'm not suggesting running through roadblocks and, and, and ignoring every sign and, and not having a relationship. But what I am saying is there are times when God has brought someone to you and it is absolutely your job and your moment and your responsibility to open your mouth and share the verbal reason that you have hope th that you do. It is your job to do it. It is my job to do it. If I don't share what I know, if I refuse to put myself on the, li on the line and offer a lifeline to someone who's drowning, do I really love? I know the answer to that, and I think you know the answer to that for you too. But we have to choose Am I okay with someone calling me hateful when I know that I'm loving? Am I okay with being a little less popular today than, than I was yesterday because I actually said that there is one way to heaven and it's only through Jesus? Am I okay with people saying that you're not very loving because you said that Jesus is the only way and that sounds really exclusive? Are you okay with that? I want the answer for me to always be yes. It's not right now. And I want the answer to always be yes for you, but I bet you it's not either. To make disciples who live for Jesus, who love one another, and tell the world we have to open our mouths and be willing to give words of life to the broken and desperate and to leave the results to him. I want to say this to you. It's very important. Don't try to be a disciple on your own. If you came here today and, 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 and you're like, I just, I, 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 I hear that and I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't know for sure if I've actually said yes to Jesus. And, and I'm, but, but I think I've worked something out with God. I think, I think we're good. I just want to tell you, no, you have to come to him on his terms. He is God. He's the one who will judge you. The moment you leave this earth, you will face the one who made you. It, life is on his terms, not yours. Life's on his terms, not mine. Here's how you can know that you became a disciple, and you can do it today. Acts 2.38 and 39, it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you feel like it's not for you. Verse 39 is for you then. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The message is not for a select few. It is for every single person on the planet who is willing to say yes to the one who made them. It's for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for salvation. God, I thank you that we are all works in progress. And when we say yes to you, it's not just a moment, but it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's a, a discipleship journey that you are honing us, you're changing us, and you're so patient with us. And for that, I give you thanks. You're not waiting to punish us. You're, 
You're not angry at us, God, when we, when we screw up, but you're inviting us to get back up and get back on that path. Father, I pray that our church would really, really connect with these things, Lord. They're not our ideas, Lord. They're your ideas. Lord, the Edge Church, we exist because you gave us this mission. We exist to make disciples because you told us to make disciples. Lord, we exist to to make disciples who live for Jesus, to live for the one who died for us, God. We are called to live like you and to look like you because that's what you've asked us to do. So God, help us do that. Help us to do everything that we do with love. Lord, it is for love that people will know we are your disciples. Help us, God. The next time we post on social media, the next time we are in connection with each other, the next time we text, the next time we we see each other, Lord, help us to love each other. And Father, this week I pray for divine encounters. I pray for every person here to run into a person that, that has been on their heart for a while. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would give each person words of life. And I pray that every person here would be, dis, it would be uncomfortable enough. They would feel discomfort in walking away without opening their mouth. God, give us the words of life and set people free. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.